0: You're listening to the DIY Recording Guys Podcast, your one-stop
1: information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Vadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, welcome to another episode of the DIY Recording Guys Podcast. I'm Vadim. And I'm Ben. How's it going, Vadim? Your place is hey, looking ben. fresh. Thank you
0: thank you yeah it's uh it's coming along I actually it's not coming along it's done <laughs> <laughs> good finally <laughs> I think this is this is what it's gonna be and uh yeah, you know it's I took the acoustics I think as far as I could within reason without getting too crazy and um yeah it sounds it
1: sounds all right I can I can work with it for sure was there any like Weirdness and getting used to this room versus your old room. Like I'm just so terrified of that like when I move out of this tiny little room like I'm worried that like I know it's gonna be different But I'm worried that like there's just gonna be a big hole at like a hundred Hertz and like wherever I move to and I'm just not gonna be able to deal with it (laughs) Yeah It was a little weird. I mean um,
0: Yeah, I do have a big I, I do have a hole in the bass which Sonarworks can pretty much fix handle. It's a room mode but mm. with a with a healthy boost at that frequency I seem to be very close and then of course you know there's headphones for for mm. the for the sanity checks. Um so yeah, I mean I I've 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 been doing okay with it. Um just just like anything else, you know, you just get used to it over time. Yeah. And uh also I find walking around helps. Like actually the sweet spot for listening is like right when you walk in, it's like mm. a foot in from the door. It seems to be like the smoothest frequency response. And then if I want extra bass sitting on this couch hmm. uh is like a nice sweet spot for bass. Anyway, I've you know, it's like anything else that you get, like gear or whatever, you just like learn it over time and then You just know what it's good at and know what you need to watch out for.
1: Yeah. Makes sense, man. Um, As far as what's new with me, well, (laughs) I mentioned this to you before we started, but my wife is pet sitting a dog now. So we have two dogs in our house and they're just loving time together, going nuts. It doesn't bother me too bad, (laughs) but like they just never stop. (laughs) Yeah. So that's, that's been uh, interesting this week. Um,
0: but it's, it's been good. Did you capture any dog noises on recordings
1: accidentally? (sighs) No, I haven't. I haven't. I haven't been doing like a ton of like, well, what should I say? I've been doing a ton of recording, but just not in this room. So Mm. yeah.
0: Yeah. I guess that's what in part what we're talking about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's going to be a fun conversation. Um, do we want to dive in? Uh, Yes, I will tell you one thing though. I I read
0: about this band called Loma, which I had never heard of, but they were they were featured in Tape Op magazine, and they have like this old house that they record in, and um, a couple of weird recording stories about them. But the one that you just reminded me of was they have like a bunch of dogs, and they (laughs) made a pact that any dog sounds that get onto the recordings have to stay. Oh, that's fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's very like, it's a type of music that allows for it. You know, it's kind of like not quite shoegazy, but it's, it's, uh, like atmospheric and folky. Mm. And, um, a dog barking, you, you probably wouldn't think twice. Oh, that's fine. You know, in one
1: of those songs. <laughs> that's fun, man. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, yeah. So this episode, I guess we're just going to talk about, um, my, uh, adventures in recording a drum sample library, (laughs) I guess I'll call it that. And, uh,
0: explain what, what, what are you doing? You're recording a, a sample library of your own
1: drum kit in your room. Yes. That's okay. Okay. More, more along the lines of like, I just wanted to capture my kit for a couple different reasons. Like one, I just wanted to, I wanted to see if I could do it, if I could make a good, like, tci sample library uh i thought it would be good practice uh i wanted to like learn how to turn like all these files into tci and use them just to kind of see how difficult it would be to... what, what, what's tci that's um those are basically like the malt files that slate trigger reads ah okay so there's like a Uh, there's a round robin of however many samples they took at different velocities. I see. And basically on the, the MIDI velocity that you feed it, you get a different of those round robin at that specific velocity. And right. So you, so slate trigger actually allows you to load in your own TCI. Yep. They have a, uh, they have a free download on their website. That's an application that makes TCI's out of like you load all of, it's basically, it looks like a, It looks like a sampler and i guess it it works in reverse so you load all of your uh your wave files into it and you can assign however many uh round robins that you want and however many different velocities and you can choose where the crossover is anywhere from 125 to zero and load them in and it will create that tci file and then you can load it and trigger and it will amazing mm-hmm. that's very cool yeah yeah. so the goal was to like try out the process to see how it works um, I wanted to see like well first of all I wanted to grab like samples of my kit because if I ever record my kit like I wanted just the best sounding samples to go along with it anyways that I could re-trigger in to either replace or to supplement any any recording that I do on my own kit Um, and two, I would, I just wanted to see, like, can I create samples that I actually like, um, that are at least like, you know, comparable and, and can compete with slate trigger samples out there. Like not necessarily trying Mm -hmm. to be better than them, but just, you know, see if I can get my own flavor of things. Yeah.
0: So how do you, do you always tune your drums to the same? pitches or is that or or are you planning on tweaking or tuning the samples to fit whatever like if you're padding your kit in the future right with
1: with samples Mm.
0: from your kit which is a cool cool concept
1: yeah that's a good question um I've done a little bit of thinking about this uh I can't say that I've made up my mind yet but I had in mind like what kind of tuning I would like to keep my kit in and I know for Tom's in particular, I like intervals of perfect fourths, and so I guess the I guess the ideal with drums is, and I'll I'll speak from this, from being a little bit of a drummer as well. Like it's not quite as simple as just picking pitches exactly because the drum has to feel good too. Like you can't just pick any random pitch, uh, and have the head too tight or too loose and just not get the correct mm-hmm. like stick rebound off of it. Uh, like I think any true drummer would tell you the feel is so much more important than the tone of the drum. But I feel like mm. it's probably 75% or 60%. Like, yeah, the feel has to be right. And then the rest of it is, well, the tone has to be good too. Um, So with that in mind, like I tried to find on my toms, like, where is the what kind what what range of pitches feel good to play on and Mm -hmm. i started with that and i started with the the highest tom that i have and i found like oh that feels pretty good being tuned to uh, a d octave three on the piano roll Mm. and so then from there i just went okay the next tom is gonna be an a uh, octave three, so I'm going down in perfect fourths, and then from the A it would be uh, an E and then a B below that for the floor tom. I have four toms, and those pretty much like stay in that area. Uh, I don't think I would ever necessarily tune them to a to a different note. Like I could probably just pitch shift them if I needed to go up a pitch right. or down a pitch. Uh, for the snare, it's a little bit different. Like I like snares that are, that hit at a fundamental frequency right around like 200 hertz on an analyzer, which is close to a G, I believe, because 220 is an A. Maybe it's a G sharp. I don't quite know what the frequency difference would be there, but I kind of like that area. And I think that I probably would, like, if I wanted a higher pitched snare drum or a lower pitched snare, I probably would actually. Um, tune up the drum differently. Mm. As far as the samples go I probably would just like pitch shift the samples to go in but the actual recorded snare drum I would probably change the actual pitch Mm. for the recording. I I would maybe go anywhere from like 180 hertz which is like absolutely the lowest I would go up to like maybe 220 at the highest. Okay. Do you have like a preference for like drums? For samples i don't or and i
0: mean i don't i don't record kits a lot i just um i've just started thinking about that recently on um, how little i've thought about it <laughs> <laughs> through the through the work i've done it's it's terrible i i mean unless unless it really sounds off like it just i'm like wait that's clearly wrong mm-hmm. i really don't think about it that much but I wonder if I should. I, I feel like I probably should. I saw a video in particular of this guy talking about how he um tuned his drum kit for the song and he was talking about the key of the song and actually the structure of the song, because he had he knew the song well enough before he recorded it that he knew roughly what the drummer was gonna do. And he's like, Well, mm. if this is the the one, then I know he's gonna do this tom fill, it's gonna sound really nice coming into the next Verse and I was like, man, that's that's some next level stuff. I've never, I've never taken it that
1: far. I've seen drummers and producers talk about that kind of a thing, but I, I don't know if I can ever say that I've heard a recording where that was that obvious to me. I'm like, oh that drum kit was tuned to the song. That it made that much of a well, difference. That's a, I
0: don't think you notice. I think well, you I think it's also subconscious. I think the argument is you you know you kind of feel it and he was also saying cuz i commented on his his video and he responded and said that also even when the drummer is not playing the drums kind of ring in the key of the song if you're mm. doing like a roomy
1: recording um which i thought was interesting i can think of one big downside to that and it it definitely would come into play like in making that decision like uh i know if, one of my favorite recordings of all time is Sound Awake by Carnival, who Forrester, uh, Forrester Savile did. And I remember him talking about that. Um, they recorded the drums and the bass live together. The bass amp was in the same room as the drums. So there is bleed from the, the bass cab into the drum recordings. And I'm just thinking, like, if the drums were tuned to the key of the song, which I don't think that they were on that album but if they were tuned to the same key you would have like the sympathetic resonance mm. on the toms yeah, that you might probably, not maybe. want. Yeah. So I can think of that I as like a that. as a downside, but if if you're recording in isolation uh it wouldn't be an issue. Then it wouldn't even matter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well anyway, get uh tell us about so so we understand why I think why you're doing it makes sense. You said basically couple of reasons one is just the recording challenge of it, and you're playing around with a new technology, which mm-hmm. is well a new technology for you, which is always cool, and two is to have sounds of your own kit in case you get a bad hit in recording or something like that. you can always correct it and three is just to get your own flavor on things mm-hmm. which which is also cool um, you know it's like dialing in your own guitar tone instead of using just a yep. preset on uh, Amp SIM. so that's why, that's exactly those it. are good reasons. So what's next?
1: How, you wanna talk about how or? Yeah, I would definitely say like the next step is like once you determine your goal and that's essentially what we were talking about at the beginning, um, I would make a plan of action before starting because the, the biggest, biggest take home that I realized is that uh, I knew this would take a lot of time I definitely underestimated the amount of like energy and time that I needed to to complete this. Like it Were you doing it it alone? Yeah, I was doing it alone. So Uh, it was a little bit- That's tough. It was tougher too. Um, Thankfully, like Studio One has this great feature uh, where they have a mobile app that lets you remote control your DAW. That's cool. Which is really helpful for me because um, I can be on the kit, hit record and stop. Uh, even yeah. though my computer is upstairs <laughs> right so that right. was that was a big help like not that it wouldn't have been possible like I could have just hit record and then walked downstairs and and tracked everything but yeah that made it that made it a little bit nicer um, but yeah make a plan of action because i I really took the time to think through since I knew I wanted to grab like the TCIs which require like multiple different velocities and then around Robin I Thought before I even started, I thought about like, well, how much like resolution or how much detail do I want in all my samples? Like, how many different velocities do I want? Like, what am I going to be using these for? And um, how many different round robin hits at each velocity do I want? Do I think will be enough? And I asked a couple other producers about this, and it seemed like a lot of them said, uh, five to, I think five to six would be good. For uh, round robins? Yeah, for round robins. Yeah. Because they were saying that like, it makes sense like most hits on a drum for drum fills will be, you know, four hits maximum. And if you get a fifth hit, right. you get one extra. And then I, I had one other producer suggest like six for triplets. Um, So I I determined that I wanted to go for at least six good hits on each drum to to build around Robin. And also like I I made that decision too, based on the fact that like I'm playing the drum kit, so I can't be completely objective in hearing, you know, what the recording sounds like because the drums are so loud. I'm just hearing what it sounds like in the room. Uh, So I wanted to grab, a couple extra than the four, just in case one or two of those was a flubbed hit uh, that I might not be able to use later. And right. then I decided that I wanted at least eight different velocities, because I was thinking nice. about like, um, p- in particular, like on the the toms, like if you have like a build up part like leading into a chorus, boom, 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 boom. That's eight hits right there. And I was thinking that would be that would be probably a good enough definition, uh, without driving myself completely crazy because I am one man doing all this and not getting paid for any of it. (laughs) So (laughs) I didn't want to like go overboard and, you know, I didn't want 120 different velocities. Like that would just be overkill for, for what I'm doing. Um, but I figured that eight different velocities would be good enough for like small little buildups like that. And, I just decided also that like, I was going to try to take as many different velocities as possible of the snare drum in particular. Um, Especially because you're going to be doing more things like ghost notes or really quiet snare rolls leading up to like really loud type of things. So um, that was maybe the trickiest part in in thinking about like, well, how do I divide up these velocities? Uh, You know, and, and I'll get to it whenever we talk about recording later, but, just thinking about, like, how do I even quantify, let's just say for the simplicity of math, like, let's do 10 different velocity hits. So what is the difference between 100% of my force in hitting a snare drum versus 90% versus 80%? Yeah,
0: especially without being able to hear back the one you just played, right?
1: Yeah, so I, and I determined that, like, you know, this is part of the learning experience, and I don't know how it's all gonna work out, but we'll figure it out <laughs> when, we, when we start doing it. Um, so that was kind of my rough plan in doing this. And there's a bigger overarching uh, narrative in, in this whole drum sample recording thing as well. So the backstory to all of this is like, you might ask me, why now why are you why are you deciding to do this now ben of all times (laughs) and the reason was is because my sister was once again with the pet sitting thing my sister was pet sitting a dog uh while while the owners were away on vacation and they just so happened to live in like a mansion like a beautiful like huge house and they're totally cool with us like going over there and like hanging out like they have like an awesome like in-ground pool and they were like yeah just come on over anytime you want and use it which is really <laughs> awesome of them yeah and i told my sister i was like can you ask them if it's cool if like i bring my drums over here to do some recording because <laughs> i i just thought like hey this awesome house might be a cool place to capture some recorded sounds so that right. was like the impetus for for doing the sample library thing actually was oh, we could capture some really cool sounds over there. Wait, so are you, is that where you're doing it? You're doing it in this big house? I wanted to. Um, so that was that was kind of the plan leading up to, like, all right. Like, yeah. I got my mobile rig together. I packed up all my drums, my laptop, all my microphone stands, took it over. Um, and that, bre- that brings me to, like, my third, like, point in, you know, thinking about doing all this is go scope out your environment before you go and record there. And that was like the only thing that I kind of overlooked in this whole process. I what? Uh, I already went over there and I checked it out and I thought to myself as far as like where I would want to record drums and if I thought it would be good. But I didn't actually like, I didn't listen quietly in the space. And it turns out that like there was way too much noise and background noise to, to do good recordings there.
0: What do you mean? There was
1: just the background. From what? Uh, they electronic appliances. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. And it not being my house, I didn't feel comfortable with like turning off their wine cellar and stuff like that. But there just was <laughs> yeah. like a, there was just this, um, you know, background noise that was not going to be possible to do sample recording in. And that was, that was a big bummer because I only realized that after I like really started setting up a lot of, a lot of things. Oh no, that sucks. But once I, once I determined that I was like, all right, this isn't going to work, tear everything down. And I just decided, Oh, you know, I've come this far. Like, I'm not just going to scrap the project. I'll just record the samples in my basement, which is, you know, my main recording environment for drums anyways. And they wound up turning out, they wound up turning out fine. Um, probably better than they would have in the beautiful house, which is funny enough. (laughs) But um, yeah, that, I mean, that goes along with like kind of knowing what your goal is, because I definitely could have gotten, I could have gotten away with recording a song there, but for samples, like you really need the long, quiet tales of recorded parts. Whereas for a song, there's a lot of other volume happening from other instruments. So the the background noise wouldn't have been been as much of a problem. Um, So, yeah, that was uh, was a lesson learned there. Um, So where are you with this process now? Are you done? I'm done recording everything. Now I just have to go and, like, chop up the samples and turn them into the TCI's. So when
0: you do it, you chop up. So for each sample, you have all the mics. You have audio from all the mics, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, I have audio from all the mics. Um, and I'll, I'll capture those for different. I'll capture the different mics and the different hits for different things, I guess. Um, like for the snare drum, I have three mics on the snare, two top and one bottom. And then I have three different room mics. So I'll have, like, room mics for every snare hit. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I guess I have the overheads. Oh are you gonna like
0: you're like you're not gonna put the, the kick or the kick samples aren't gonna have the room mics? Is that what no. you're thinking? Or the
1: No, I'll I'll Okay. I'll capture them separately so I have like ultimate control. At least that's what I like about the the slate samples that I use. They have the close mics separate from the room mics. And then you can load them in and balance them however you want. And I kind of right. like that. I like that so I'll, I'll probably keep them separate. Cool. Yeah, well, cuz I, I that's could great. um I could foresee I like it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. I could foresee like wanting to use only rim mics or only close mics on certain scenarios for samples. So it's for nice to have. oh s- yeah, right, right. It, it yeah, would be
0: that nice to have them separate because for that. yeah, if you have like a recording but you, maybe you just want like better transient response because the drummer wasn't
1: hitting hard enough then you just put in like the close mics right exactly yeah and so i guess i'll get to like um before before setting up everything to record it uh i just walked around my basement i took a bluetooth speaker down there that's a bigger one it's a jbl so it can pump out music pretty loud and i put on some I put on a song that has a long drum intro and I just put it on repeat and I walked around my basement just listening to where I thought things sounded the best and that was going to determine like where I set up the kit and where I set up the microphones, at least get me in the like ballpark of things.
0: Wait, so you're walking around with the speaker, like you're holding the speaker or you put the speaker
1: down and then you're walking around? I put the speaker down and then I walked around. I put okay. the speaker where I thought I was going to put the kit and then yeah. I walked around and I just listened and I wound up putting everything kind of where I thought I wanted to put it anyways. The only thing that changed really was I, I spaced my room mics wider apart than I normally would just cause I thought they sounded better. I thought the area sounded better wider. And I think it's because it was more, um, it was more in, I don't know. It was more in like the middle of the room than I would have, than I would have done before. Hmm. So, any, anyways, um, yeah, so I listened to everything and then I set up my kit, uh, in relation to where I thought everything would sound the best. And that's whenever I did my all my tuning to everything before I mic'd it okay. up because you have to do the bottom and the top head. And I did want to mention that, like, this was my first opportunity to use a tune bot, I don't have it right next to me right now, but, um, It's an awesome drum tuner that uses a microphone instead of tension from tension rods. Mm. It works so well. I would recommend anybody that's recording acoustic drums, whether or not you're a drummer, like I think it's a must have. It's $100. Wait, so how does it work? It has a microphone on it and you clip it to the rim of your drum and you hit it and it will tell you what the actual... Uh, frequency response is of your drum head and so you can go around each lug and it will give you like the hertz um, difference from each of the lug and then you can fine tune adjust like the top and bottom heads
0: oh I see so you're you're clamping it next to each lug or to each lug and that it's giving you want to make sure they're all
1: Yeah. Even the nice thing though is you can clamp it just to any anywhere on the rim between any two lugs, and then go around and hit each lug, and it will tell you the difference.
0: Ah, yes, of course. So you don't have to keep moving it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: But it worked. It works so well. I, I was truly amazed by it. Like, um, and they also have like a calculator app that comes along with it that tells you, like, you pick you pick a couple different things like. Do you want maximum resonance specifically from toms or minimum resonance? And there's a slider on it, and you choose, and then you select like, well, what uh, pitch do you want your tom to be at? Okay, select that. I want a D. This is the frequency that you tune the bottom head to, and this is the frequency you tune the top head to. Wow. And it's pretty much exactly right. The only, uh, the only thing that I had to fine tune adjust was my snare. I had to turn tune my snare drum up top head up a little bit higher than what they stated I would have to to get the pitch that I wanted to be at but other than that it was so fast like I tuned an entire six-piece drum kit including the kick drum I tuned it perfectly in like 40 minutes which is something that would normally take me like from scratch probably like three or four hours (laughs)
0: Holy moly. Wow. That's a huge difference. Huge
1: difference. And, you know, I'm not the fastest at tuning, but, like, it was perfect. Like, when I when I listened to, you know, the re- when I listened to the toms, like, the recording of it, and the toms weren't, like, completely new either. They were newer, but not, like, brand new. Like, I just couldn't believe how good they sounded. Like, no-brainer. Like, I'm so glad that wow. I got it. They made it so fast. and And also, the nice thing about it, too, is there's no guessing. Like... After a song of a drummer hitting on a kit, like you can go through and clamp them back on and just fine-tune to make sure everything still is in pitch and didn't drop too much. And you right. know you're exactly right. You don't have to be like, does that match the pitch or not? <laughs> like it's yeah, it's objective. Amazing. Yeah, it was it yeah. was really great. Um so yeah, from there I mic'd everything up. I recorded a small sample, I listened and made like small adjustments and went from there and the answer to to the question i posed earlier about like how do i space out all these velocities especially with the snare i just decided i'm going to do as many discrete different velocities as i can and however many different vo- discrete velocities that is it just is going to be what it is and what i settled on was 13 for the snare like i could i could find 13 different hits that to me were okay these are different velocities that i could consistently mm. do and mm. i don't think wow. i did as well with the toms uh because i picked eight so i think my bottom two hits were like way quieter than the third quietest hit i wasn't able to like you know come happens down a velocity all
0: the time in these sample libraries you know does it yeah there's always like one point you're like
1: well that's not right that that's the next one oh yeah 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 i guess so so um yeah i was uh i was as thorough as i could be about it so we'll find out once i process everything and send it over to you um i did make a decision too because i grabbed all my symbols as well very quickly into it i think on the first symbol i was like i'm only going to grab the heaviest hits like Five or six different hits of the hardest hits on the cymbals, the crash cymbals in particular. Because when am I going to be like hitting a crash cymbal at seventy percent? Like I want all my crashes to be <laughs> loud and heavy. So I just decided, like, instead of spending more time for something I'm not going to use, uh, I'm just going to grab the the heaviest hits on those things. And with with all that being done, okay, let's let's recap everything that I did. I didn't mention the kick drum, but I did five velocities of the kick drum. I did like hundred uh-huh. percent down to 50 percent. Uh, for snare, I did 13 different velocities. For all the toms, which I have four of, I did six round robins of each of those four toms of eight different velocities. <laughs> so it's adding up very yeah, quickly.
0: So, so about 50, 50 hits per drum roughly. Yeah.
1: For those of you keeping score. And, oh, well, it's, a lot. it's so much patience too, because you really want, you want it to ring out as long as possible that there's tone there. It's not just like you're hitting the drum, oh. hitting the drum, you know, you're hitting and then you're waiting for like four seconds while everything like, or longer while everything dissipates. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of patience there. And I have eight different, including my hi-hats, I have eight different cymbals so six different hits on there and i did do some dis- discrete different velocities on the on the hi-hat and ride as well as different articulations like the bell on the ride versus just pinging it mm-hmm. versus crashing it so with all of that said and done i had over two hours worth of recorded audio from all the samples wow. so it was it's gonna be a lot to go through um definitely not for the week of heart to create a sample library, but well, uh, yeah. Cause you're going
0: to have to listen. Ulti- I mean, you'll be able to like separate them through some kind of automatic process. Right. But, um, then you
1: still have to listen to each one and like name them and classify
0: them. And
1: well. yeah, I was, I was pretty good as far as like being organized, like, going from heaviest velocity down to lightest. So it's pretty obvious from the waveform, like where the brakes right. are in each one. Yeah. So the, the time consuming thing will just be like chopping everything up, I guess. And that's where hopefully beat detective will come in handy and I can automatically yeah. chop a lot of these things. Yeah. So yeah. I'll
0: well, so having gone through it, do you think, um, I mean, there's a lot of good sample libraries out there, but some of them are like, you know, the same people are using the same ones. Would you recommend people go on this endeavor on their own or you're not sure yet until you I guess, I would say, I'd practice?
1: I would say I probably wouldn't recommend people doing it because mm. I think for most people, it's just not going to be worth the time. Um, the thing I will say about it though is that if you're recording, you absolutely should take like you should take a few hit every session that you do. You should take a few heavy hits of every drum. Like, don't worry about right. the different velocities unless there specifically are like some ghost notes that you want to grab from a snare hit from snare hits. But I would just grab the heaviest hits, like four or five heaviest hits from each drum, just in case you need to replace a bad hit in a session. So, it's yeah. worthwhile for that. And I think the other cool thing would be um, I'm not super happy with a ton of different symbols from sample libraries that in the fact that I think it's cool to have your own captured so that's kind of yeah. one of the things that I'm most excited for is just having my own symbols because I'm using all pretty much all dream symbols which they're a smaller I think they're a Canadian company but their stuff like sounds really good and I don't think any sample library uses. Dream symbols. So it'll be cool to have like
0: cool. Yeah. I mean the problem is that I imagine like mic the mic setup is never gonna be identical. Yeah. So right. It's like but it would be cool just to see what it sounds like if you can like just program a program drum sound using your kit, even if it's for pre production, right? And you could be like, Well, this is what the drums will approximately sound like.
1: Yeah. That's pretty cool too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll be cool too to like once I go through processing. Like, it'll also be a quick template for me to know how to like EQ my kit, like a template already set up. Like, hey, it's pre EQ'd; it already sounds great, oh, ready to good go. Call yeah. So that'll be that'll be a good benefit of it as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's great. I actually, that's what I've been. Worked on was just just some uh, some drum templates in in Reaper. How mm. to um, pull them up? It's a bit different than in Pro Tools, um, but actually way better. Mm. As just about everything is. So basically, I have a template set up so that I have my. Well, I'm doing it one template per kit type that I have, and I use Superior Drummer, so I have like the. The main drum bus that everything is routed to, and under that I have my instrument track, and then the MIDI instrument. Each MIDI channel or, or each channel of the uh, virtual instrument is round, routed to an individual track. So, like the audio comes from the instrument, but not directly out of that tr- out of the plugin. It comes, it gets routed from the plugin to these individual tracks, mm. which then route into the main drum bus. So now I can pull all of that in. You can imagine it took a little while to set up all that routing and naming and everything. Yeah. So I, I can pull all that in and program my MIDI and then like immediately bounce out to audio. And then I already have some some presets in there for you know EQs and stuff. So that's a lot of work to set up that I would prefer to not have to do every time. <laughs> not as much as setting up mics for, for oh my gosh, tuning yeah. drums for sure. but. But, uh, even still,
1: yeah, I mean, um, yeah, presets are always great. I even feel with presets like you're still gonna do like tweaking like i'm I'm working on this I'm working on this song right now that's got it's with an artist that definitely has like a a glam rock eighties hair metal vibe, and I really racked my brain a lot to get get good drums to sound like arena rock, and what I. Ah what i what I came to was I just had to boost a lot of the room mic, especially from the snare and it, it started to really kind of approach that that eighties vibe yep, wow. which I've never really like i hope i I hope I win the project because right now it's just pre pro but um I've never really worked on like that much of an eighties vibe for a song and It got me thinking about, like, there was something about the 80s that, like, the productions just were so, like, so distinct. They were definitely doing some unique things in the 80s that maybe I could say about the 70s or earlier that that was just, like, okay, the metal back then, that was just unrefined techniques. And now we're at, like, modern metal and modern productions. But I feel like the 80s, like, they knew what they were doing and they just were going for a unique sound. And so... It was kind of fun to like try to take a template that was built for a more modern sound. And I'm like, can I Mm. reverse engineer this to make this kind of sound like the 80s? Um, I got pretty close. Maybe not exactly there, but.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know what they did. I imagine there was a lot of just digital reverb units in the 80s and people would just dial in these nonlinear reverbs on the snare. I think you're right about that you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Gated, gated reverbs was a big thing too. That like, I mean that I feel like as soon as you hear a gated verb, you're like, Oh, it's the (laughs) eighties. I know it's sort of become relevant again, but not in any way that I approve of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I so agree. I mean, I, I give props though, for like somebody saying this is super weird and synthetic, but we're going to make it we're going to artistically make it work because I feel like my brain doesn't work that way. A lot of times, like as creative as I might be, I'm still going for like a natural sound when it comes to a lot of things. Like I want it to sound real. Um, So it's, it's, I give credit to the people who took something that didn't sound real at all. And they're like, nah, we're going to use it, man.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's true. There is something to be said for, Pushing things, pushing the boundaries, and yeah. committing to it. Yeah, interesting.
1: So I guess that's the that's the full story on the drum sample recording yeah. thing.
0: Well, that's pretty cool. I mean i it, I would love to be able to do something like that at some point. One for the experience, but two, I do think the. I don't know if it, obviously it probably doesn't make a difference, but something about being able to program drums, but have them be your drum, like nobody Mm. else has those. There's something cool about that to me conceptually. Yeah.
1: You know, one thing I'll mention too, like, and you just reminded me of it, um, going through this process and when I was doing some research, it was really kind of hard to find like, I I was looking for some of the answers to these simple questions like and get good drums. Like how many different velocities did you capture? What kind of processing is on these drums? Like, is it raw or is it processed? Oh yeah. Not very clear answers to any of that. Like I couldn't find anything about the round Robins or the velocities. They might exist somewhere on the forum that I haven't found yet. Uh, But all I found especially on the get good drums forums, as far as like, are these samples raw or processed, which I was under the impression they were raw. They're not completely raw and they didn't say how they weren't raw. So I'm thinking to myself, like in capturing these samples, like how raw do I want to keep them? How much of my own processing do I want to put on things? And it started making me think about other things too. Like when I'm mixing with some of these drum sample libraries or with a virtual kit like how much am i relying on the pre-processing that's already happened to some of these these raw samples uh that i'm kind of cheating myself out of understanding it's kind of like learning the shortcuts to doing calculus without understanding the algebra underneath like where all that came Ah. from (laughs) I don't know why that's the first thing that weird, jumped into my mind. Yeah, that's that. a weird
0: analogy, but but uh, I know what you're saying. It's all it's like it's just a it's a crutch. But you know what? So what? I yeah. feel like if you think about guy like guys, the the big name guys who are mixing, you know, the 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 top 40, the tracks they're getting. Were recorded like through compressors and through tape machine, whatever else. Right. So in effect, they're getting probably similar or more processing than like, than you're getting with those libraries.
1: Yeah, true. I wonder like, I wonder how it'll just be interesting and I'll have to like, check back in once I'm done processing these TCIs and making them. But I don't, I don't doubt that there's going to be like a revision one, just after like I put everything together and I compare it to like other samples I'm using and I'm hearing something that's just not sounding the same and it might be Well, that's uh, a good
0: point too. You can you can try to like match, you know, take your snare hardest velocity, try to match it to like a get good drums and maybe you'll you'll quickly be able to hear like, oh, okay, there's some compression on theirs. You know? Yeah.
1: Like I'm I'm wondering with that, um, I'm wondering, like, in particular with the room mics, because the close mics, I, I feel like they're just, like... They're probably just close mics, maybe with some compression on it, but I'm wondering with the room mics, like, are they really, like... Are they compressing it like we would compress a room in a mix, or are they raw? I don't know. I think the Slate samples probably have heavy compression on them because they just sound insane. But I don't know. I don't know for sure. And it'll be interesting to find out whenever I get to that point.
0: Well, that's a good, you, you bring up a good point, though, because I, I... There's, I, I used to just pull stuff up and be like yep uh, every kick drum gets an 11 1176 compressor blackface like yep and then over time I was like wait a minute what am I doing here like this kick drum already sounds like it should sound and like I'm just over compress I'm just killing it with more compression so I yeah. kind of I started taking a uh, less of a heavy hand on drum libraries in terms of compression on the close mics now i still compress the rooms and i still do parallel compression and all that stuff but yeah you don't
1: need as much as you think to that note and i think that was a big breakthrough for me with the drum mixing um with things that were programmed or like sample heavy i started using compression for the close mics as more of a tone shaping type of a thing like i want to get more of that like thick sustain or uh, wetness to a drum with compression or like specifically with tone. Whereas with a real drummer that has a lot more dynamics, I'm using the compression maybe also for that, but also I'm using it as a way to uh, compress the dynamics of it to make it yeah, less dynamic. Yeah,
0: just level out the playing. You have to, yeah.
1: But yeah, you don't need sure. to. Like you were saying... You don't need to do that with, with samples, especially if it's all the same velocity. Right, because your round robin already takes care of that. Yeah, yeah. no, that's a gr- it's a really good point. Um, yeah. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that, though. That like, oh, this is a real kit. I have to like treat this a little bit differently. This is a true raw kit from a raw drummer. I have to approach this a little bit differently. Yeah, well than I've I can. seen
0: guys talk about that, you know, using a kit and being and talking about how to compete with samples and inevitably they're all using heavy limiting on the drums, just to just for that reason, just to level out the dynamics, just to get something you can even like work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well the limiting because basically, you know, they they wanna just you got all these different peaks and they just want to like not just compress them but really like clamp them really make fit hmm. them within a certain you know dynamic range i think is what they're thinking and i've heard like glenn fricker say like if you want to compete with guys using samples like he uses a program called drum leveler i think but I, it, it seems like hmm. it's basically like a multi-band limiter or limiter or something
1: that's very interesting i'll have to keep that in mind um I'm vaguely remembering this and this might not be exactly true, but it's a it's a good thought anyways In in you saying that I vaguely remember a, a nail the mix that I was watching Where the producer I think he was talking about Clipping the drums Going through and clipping all the hits before even adding compression and I'm guessing it's probably for the same reason he was just taking off the like the sharpest transient peaks
0: yeah, especially with digital recording because I feel like like tape used to do that for you. It would just not, you know, you just wouldn't get spiky peaks anyway. But now with digital recording, probably drums are like more dynamic than ever. Like 24-bit digital recording, right? It's like you can't get more dynamic than that. That's a really,
1: my mind is blown, Vadim.
0: <laughs> it's good to think well, about these things. Good. I like it. Hopefully somebody else took something away from it. Um, yeah, too. I don't know. I don't have anything else. How about you?
1: No, I don't really have anything else. Um just mentioning quickly, like I also did some violin recording this week. Kind oh, of in yeah. the same in the same space as like the drums. So I kind of knew what I was getting out of the room. And I set up the, the room mics similar to doing um to doing all that. Uh it was it was cool recording a real like acoustic violin. I would say pretty challenging. I put uh, I put an SM7B right up next to the player. And I also put a small diaphragm condenser like above the player about a meter away. So those were my two close mics. Mm-hmm. And then I did an XY pair about 12 feet in front of the player mm. with my ribbon mics as the first room. I had a couple other small diaphragm condensers about 12 feet away as well and they were kind of 45 degree angles from each other just to kind of capture the room and then I had like a another large diaphragm condenser about 20 feet away as a farther room and I think that probably like if I record violin again I think it turned out okay but I think that I probably if I was gonna go through the problem of recording violins to sound good I probably would go to like a Like a really nice church or a cathedral with really big, like really big ceiling and a space that sounds like really good. Because my room, like it just, it had way too much mid range. Like I I just, Mm. I wasn't really a huge fan of like the all the mid range I was getting uh, in it. So I had to like EQ and and scoop out a lot. Uh, And close mics never really sound that awesome on stringed instruments because like. Yeah, I don't think people are used to hearing strings up close. So it just sounds weird. Mm. And that's the one, I feel like that's the one downside of having, like that's the weakness of having a home studio. Like I think it's great for a lot of different things like me and you have. But you know, one of the things it's bad at is like, if, if a source is meant to be captured far away, then like, there's really nothing. There's not too much we can do about it. Like the way that we get around at home studios as far as like making things sound good is that, Oh, we can just, you know, we can do any vocal performance up close using an SM seven B. It doesn't matter the space that we're in. Like, we're not going to get too much negative impact from the room, but with a violin, it almost like needs a space. So I felt like that that was the biggest, Mm. that was the biggest hurdle that I, that I encountered. Um, And they wound up, the parts wound up turning out okay. But I think that in the future, like I probably will just either rent a nice studio, go to a nicer space or just program my parts from sample libraries. (laughs) Honestly.
0: Now did you make, are you going to sample the, I guess sampling a violin is, is different. You would have to use a sampler and have like legato functionality,
1: but. Oh, okay. That goes in like a, um that goes in a metal song so okay. i feel like we can probably get away with some of the the issues that i was having like though there's enough happening in the song that like we can just scoop out the mid-range and the mix is going to be fine it's right. not right. it's not just isolated violin string section yeah happening
0: i got gotcha. you yeah it's not the not the feature
1: yeah but it was cool like it was cool doing a real player like there's i even i feel like even with the most expensive like sample library, it's just not going to be as good as a real player, so that's the benefit of recording a real player But that's,
0: that's so true and a couple of times I've paid somebody to do like cello parts that I programmed, ah, so much better, even like yeah. with a less than ideal recording. There's just so much life that you just don't get. Little finger noises and mm-hmm. the, just the bow, just the little nuances of the bow. It, it, it's a different beast, man. I, I can't think of – there's few instruments where it, I think it's harder to get right. I, I, guitars, I mean, I guess stringed instruments in general are just, like, really yeah. hard to get
1: with VIs. Yeah. I've heard that Umansky bass plug is really good for bass. Um I haven't tried it yet, mm. but yeah, as far as guitars go, like I actually did, I, I have a song I'm working on, uh, working on a mix and it's entirely, uh, midi guitar and bass. And I didn't know it whenever I heard, <laughs> really? I didn't know it when I heard the pre pro, but I think it was because it was in that like very gente kind of style. Actually, there's one part oh, of the song. Oh, you like,
0: can get away with it. Yeah. It's very progressive. It,
1: like the bridge, you could tell because there's like a pinch harmonic there, and it just sounds so fake. I'm like, that can't, <laughs> that can't be real. But yeah, like I was amazed when I when I got the stems, and I was like, this is freaking MIDI. Um, and yeah, like it, uh, it was that Odin two plugin in particular, and Loki two that that I have, and they just really yeah. are good. They're sampled and they're made for that gente style. Um, so yeah, like you can get away with that, oh, but I've tried. I've tried using that plug-in on like funky things or more like just rock, and it just—you can tell it's fake. Ah, it doesn't <laughs> work. Yeah. I have—I do—I do have a good one. It's called like—it's a free one actually. It's called P
0: Bass Lite. Hmm. And um, for pre-pro, it's pretty good, and I've used it on all kinds of genres. And, like, I ran it through, like, a uh, neural DSP plug-in for, like, a heavy song, and it was like, yeah, that works for pre-pro. I mean, I ended up re-recording the bass eventually, but, like, if you just want to program something up really quickly, it is it is working off of real bass samples.
1: That's cool. And, uh, yeah, not bad. Man, I don't even know what that would... I should... Since I'm taking lessons from Jake Umansky, he might be able to let me know the process, but I'm just curious, like... So he's got his own plugin, huh? Yeah. That's through um I forget like what the company contact was. thing. I'm not sure actually. I'm trying to see submission audio. Is the one mm-hmm. that commissioned him to do it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Is it a standalone? I think it's a standalone plugin. Oh really? all oh, right standalone and a plugin? Uh, I guess like, uh, what am I trying to say? Like it, it, it doesn't need contact. You can just open it up. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I guess what it comes down to is like the, the more samples you can take, the more real, the more samples you could take of different things and different articulations, dynamics, the, the more real it's going to sound. It just takes time. Right? Yeah. There's still value though, like in learning an instrument. I will never give up on that.
0: <laughs> I was gonna say the the person who sent you those stems, what did they do
1: vocals or something? I think so. I think they were the vocalists okay. I'm yeah, that's a good question okay. like um it's it's not for a client. it's just for um uh mixing practice, so I wasn't in direct connection with them but um I'm curious like why they just decided to program it or maybe they were like either they don't either they don't play guitar that well and but can write or they were like hey it sounds pretty good why why track this again i don't i don't know yeah. it's already super tight <laughs> yeah it made me it made me think about like uh it made me think about like could i actually get away with this on <laughs> some stuff like it just feels wrong really yeah interesting yeah i don't know
0: all right well Thanks for the insight, Ben. That's uh, absolutely, man. That's a daunting task you took on. I'm yes, looking forward to hearing the results.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to finishing it up. I mean, I'm on to the editing now, which is like the worst part of it. But I'm excited to get it done. So yeah, yeah, I've got the energy to get it done sooner than later.
0: (laughs) Good, good. Okay. All right. Well. Uh, thank you Ben again and until next time it's the DIY Recording Guys reminding you to check yourself
1: before you wreck yourself